And it's time for our midweek studies. We are in the uh, book of Exodus, chapter 2, and the portion of the scripture will be found in verse 15, all the way to verse 25. And um, it's in regards to Moses escaping to Midian, of course, within the context of things that have transpired in verses prior which you and I are, of course, wise to recognize and respect and honor so as to understand the interpretation of the author's intent for our minds today. It has practical application. We can hold it in a tangible manner and find worth, benefit to our faith. Stefan Maillet with you. Addedsouls.com is the website, and uh, it's good to have you. It's good to have you, man. How's it going out there? Doing all right? Doing okay? I hope so. I pray so. You know, in this uh, in this crazy world, um, God has blessed us to have each other. The human condition, right? Together, neighbors, united. And um, it's a blessing to have a venue of security that way where you and I, as peacefully as possible, can uh, open inspired language, inspired history, inspired purpose, and uh, seek therein the purpose of life. I mean, what, you've never asked questions? Don't tell me you have subscribed to the idea the uh, that we are mere... Animals, slaves to the dance of our DNA, incapable of formulating any kind of intelligent thought. I used to subscribe to that. Man, it was a lonely, cold, morbid dungeon. But we were, we were, um, how should I say, galvanized into that worldview because it came with the slogan or banner of quote-unquote, science. And we don't want to be science deniers. We don't want to deny the experts who tell us that nothing exploded into something. Right? Well, if you truly seek to uh, practice a free-thinking mind, then perhaps it's time we humble ourselves and look into inspired, recorded, and witnessed accounts. Yeah, that's what we do here. And it is truly joyful to do that. It's comforting. It's a healing agency because we can read information as we are, of course, commanded to read and learn and study, right? Study and learn from this account here in Exodus so as to find, of course, the author's intent for practical application and how that will indeed govern and guide, instruct our path forward gaining the insight to discern right from wrong and clinging to what is right and fleeing from what is wrong and exposing what is wrong. And uh, you might find yourself greatly um, uh, blessed by how much information recorded in an account that took place thousands of years ago, how, how immediate it still is in our current culture. It truly is fascinating, very interesting, 
to look into this kind of stuff. Hey, man, listen, housekeeping, uh, housekeeping uh, task at hand. Please consider subscribing. It's not difficult. Won't cost you much. You just give a thumbs up. You subscribe. Ring the bell. Whatever. All those things, depending on which platform you're you're viewing this live feed from. So please consider that. Subscribe, like, share, comment. That kind of stuff helps the material move forward and reach a great many other souls out there, perhaps like you and I, who appreciate these studies together, learning together. Uh, consider that, would you? Also, if you will, and able, uh, consider su uh, supporting the work. It helps put food on the table, and um, it, it has you uh, with the joy of giving towards something that has value in the gospel. And uh, you can do that by signing up to addedsouls.locals.com. You can do that through PayPal, addedsouls at gmail.com. You can send me a private message. We can have a video chat, phone call, email exchange if you seek a physical address, things of that, things of that nature. And you can see there on the screen all the locations that we currently create and uh, peruse YouTube, Twitter, Substack, Locals, Rumble, Facebook, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Google, and Patreon, and various other locations. That good? We're going to put the, 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 the scriptures on the screen, as we have been doing so traditionally. It treats us well because you can see it for yourself, if you will. If you can't see it, if you're listening to this through the audio podcast platform, um, obviously I encourage you to go read it for yourself with your own two eyes. You can follow as I quote, obviously, and that is perfectly fine. But I want you to make sure that you can read it for yourself as well, that you're not blindly following me, that you're actually evidence-based and following the scriptures. And uh, that has value, that has benefit, that is worth looking into. It holds purpose for our lives. Again, it heals us from a great many agencies of hostility which are out there in the fallen world that we have to deal with, whether it be natural disasters or the loss of loved ones, sorrow, health conditions, perhaps evil that is out there, and wickedness. What, what does it all mean? Why does it exist? How do we persevere through those moments? Well, as foolish as I once thought this to be, would you know it? When you read the Bible and you begin to study the Bible and learn the Bible and act upon the information and instruction of the Bible. Um, would you know it? The, 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 the questions to our answers are fulfilled and we can move forward even though this is a fallen and crazy world. Um, we can move forward with peace in our minds and purpose in our career. So it's a good thing to go back to these accounts and to truly learn what's going on. So in the context of Moses here, we saw thus far, of course, a new king in Israel. A new, uh, sorry, a new king in Egypt, not Israel, Egypt. And this new king, he don't care much about history, past history and the, the cooperation that was had between the Egyptians and Israel and uh, what made them function and prosper as a nation within their sociopolitical affairs and also their religious affairs. There was a cooperation that kept them from famine, dying, of starvation and kept them secure and uh, of course it was all sourced by God who made Joseph successful and uh, Joseph found a position of leadership 
and influence for God's purpose. And this new king now in Egypt, well, he don't care much about those things. I encourage you to go look at the archived videos and um, find the value therein and catch up to the study if you've not done so already. So this new king in Egypt, of Egypt, he don't care much about what happened in the past. He's not looking into historical events or historical uh, um, alliances, if you will. He's, you know, a fear-mongering tyrant, a heavy-handed oppressor and murderer, as is the common custom of these types, uh, these insecure, uh, uh, bitter, and brittle little men, uh, they pronounce themselves outwardly as these brutes of force and these uh, warriors and these, uh, you know, uh, these a, a masquerade of, of sorts outwardly. But inwardly, of course, you can see through their actions the fruits of their actions. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Well, you know, you can listen to these kinds, verbally speak things, and you'll be like, oh, amen. Well, take a step back and look at the fruits of their labor. What have they been known to be doing? Well, destroy, dismantle, discourage, divide. Uh, and uh, that's, of course, the uh, discernment that God has blessed us with to recognize those fruits. And this king of Egypt, dude, you just have to look at what the fruits he's producing, at the fruits he's producing, and what is it? It's murder. It's murder, murder, murder. It's always the same. Murder, murder, murder. Chaos, fear, hard labor, bondage. Every time in history where a tyrant has taken power and preeminence over a country, a nation, sociopolitical enforcement of policies that are there to suppress and oppress the people is always on bank. It's always taking place. It's never been a, well, let's try, uh, you know, uh, uh, communism this time. It'll work. Communism will work this time. No, it, it never does. It never it will because it has a designed description for its purpose, which is tyranny upon the people, control. And uh, sadly, that is indeed the case with this new king in Egypt. That's what we've seen. And so he, of course, sets forth mandates among uh, upon the people with a heavy hand, which is in in, in its very clear state, to murder little baby boys. Can't allow that. Why? Because, well, if the people of Israel keep procreating, well, they might get wise to the fact that they can overthrow us, a corrupt regime, and a, 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 a corrupt leadership, a corrupt governing power. And they might want to try to, you know, bring about justice and remove us and, and find us guilty and punish us. And we can't allow that. We cannot allow that. So we have to murder all the little baby boys so that their army will not grow. And uh, that's the kind of mind that you see in this uh, ego-driven uh, uh, individual. And of course, we saw the elements of the midwives who feared God more than this tyrant and the results of that, and it moved us forward in chapter 2 in regards to the birth of Moses, which was last week, and I encourage you to go check out that archive video. And so now we move forward within this, of course, uh, account in, in, in the immediate context of what Moses had done in chapter 2 in verses prior to verse 15, which was, of course, kill a man. Well, what kind of a man? Well, an Egyptian man. Uh-oh, you're a Hebrew, and you've killed an Egyptian? Well, that's, that's a death sentence. 
you think this tyrant, this new king of Egypt, who is calloused, has no remorse whatsoever to murder little babies, innocent little babies, is going to have some kind of a, an epiphany and thought of compassion or empathy towards a Hebrew male man who kills an Egyptian man? Well, no, of course not. Though, of course, <clears throat> we see that Moses had the privilege and freedom to have been weaned up there within the tentacles of the Egyptian political elite with Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, but more will be said about that further along the line. So from there, from the, from the account last week that we looked into, Moses kills an Egyptian. And um, from there, he also tries to separate a feud, uh, if you will, of sorts between two Hebrews. And there's, there is a moment in which things are said and Moses is uh, kind of thrown back and has a, a strong uh, core memory set in place. And uh, he seeks to get away from that. He, he, knew, he knows he's in trouble. He knew he was in trouble. Uh, number one, when he killed an Egyptian, and number two, when he saw that his own people were bickering against each other and were practicing hateful things as uh, and should not, and uh, everything was just a turmoil in his mind. I mean, if you look at the journey of the man, he's he's been through a lot. <laughs> okay, uh, he's been through a lot, and so in his mind, at this time, the best thing to do is escape. I got to get out of here. They're gonna hunt me down and kill me anyways, and my own people aren't even getting along. They can't even get along with each other. My own people can't even get along with each other. I mean, everything's just upside down. I was thrown into a world of uh, confusion from the very beginning. Uh, born into an oppression of Egyptian enforcement uh, that is not friendly to our kind. My mother saved my life by doing this, that, and the other. And here I am now in my life, and it's... You know, there, it's a lot to it's a lot to take. Uh, I'm just gonna flee. I'm gonna run away. I'm gonna go away from this place, and that begins our journey, of course, in uh, chapter two, verses fifteen and following. And when Pharaoh, of course, heard of this matter, what took place there with Moses, and Moses killed an Egyptian, and there's been some some revealing things here, if you will. Uh, he tried to kill Moses, no doubt. So when the Pharaoh, when Pharaoh heard of this matter, when he heard of all the things in the account that has taken place, uh, he tries to kill Moses. I got to get rid of this individual. And again, you can you, just the self, uh, this this self-absorbed, indignant necessity, you know, uh, to enforce his mandates and to enforce his his uh, skewed worldview, if you will, of humanity, um, he's going to hunt down Moses. There's no no rest for Moses. There will be no rest for the wicked. Their purpose is to uh, unceasingly pursue uh, death upon any dissent and opposition, and Moses certainly put himself in a position of, uh, of such a character, and uh, yeah, that's just not, not allowed. Sound familiar? Does all of this sound familiar to you? Are you awake? Uh, so he tries to kill Moses, but Moses fled 
from the presence of Pharaoh, and settled in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now within the act of self-defense, that is permissible, of course. We see Jesus practice that same prudence in the New Testament when the religious leaders of the day, his own people, his own kind, the Jews, within the socio-political oppression of the Sanhedrin in that context, there are a great many times when Jesus was boldly telling them with the proper motive of the heart in love, of course, in, in, in the love of the truth and their, these people's souls, he was telling them, you're lost. You are lost. You will not find yourself in eternal paradise. You will not. No. And of course, they, were, they couldn't take that. How dare he say such a thing? And they uh, wanted to murder him. So a great many times, what did he do? He fled. He fled the scene, which would have certainly had a crime. Uh, and uh, he did so because he was in control of his mortality. He was in control of his spirit and when his spirit would be removed from his body, his physical body on this earth. And so in control of that moment, he knew when to flee. And Moses, to, of course, his mind at this time, recognizing his entourage and mindful of what had taken place, he flees. He flees to save his life. At times, friends, listen, there's no um, harm in fleeing to uh, remove oneself from a immediate dire situation. Now, that would not be permissible at times if it is called for us men to practice courage and to stand and defend innocent human life, things like that. There is, of course, a host of conversation to be had along those lines. But to this context, of course, Moses has done something wrong, and uh, he has also found out that there are a great many wrong things happening. And so I think he wants to reinvent himself and find a new chapter in his life, a new location where he could perhaps have peace. So when Pharaoh, of course, heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. If you are found in a geographical location where hostility against your life is imminent and daily, well, chances are, uh, and I don't even per se, uh, or I don't even um, prefer the use the use of the word chances, though it is part of our common dialect and slang, uh, more so of an opportunity he recognizes. He discerns an opportunity to flee the geographical location of hostility, which would require his life for what he has done, and uh, he goes to a different geographical location, still on this earth, walking in this world, uh, in Midian. And he finds himself by a well. Well, that's a good location to find yourself if you are uh, thirsty and have been walking or traveling, sojourning for a period of time. And these physical b vessels, these, these uh, <laughs> marvels of... Uh, in, in ingenuity, you know, the, 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 the biological engineering, if you will, needs certain elements of this world to survive, and water is certainly up there in the top five. So he finds a location where water can be provided. Now, of course, in verse 16, the priests of Midian, the priest, definite article one unique here, priest, it seems, of Midian, had seven daughters, well, isn't that accommodating? Uh, seven daughters, 
this man has, the priest of Midian. And they came to draw water and filled the throughs to water their father's flock. It is an office and task that is necessary, of course, in their labor. Their daily labor requires certain things that would have to do, of course, with farming and animals and making sure the animals are uh, provided for and things of that like. And, and, and so here you have the priest of Midian. See, Moses flees to Midian. He's found in Midian next to a well. Well can quench his thirst and allow his body to function forward. There's a priest in Midian, and this priest has seven daughters. God's providence found all over the place, if you're paying attention. And they came to draw water. Who? Well, these seven daughters. They came to the well to draw water so that their father's flocks could be uh, uh, nourished to that end. But then, in verse 17, the shepherds came and drove these daughters away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. And it's interesting, but it is indeed a, 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 a insight or, to the account of Moses' character. I mean, he did kill an Egyptian, and he was willing to stick his neck between his own people to stop them from fighting. He is a courageous man to a certain measurement of his context and uh, his lifestyle at that time or worldview at that time. And so he sees a problem here. He recognizes that something may not be just, which is that the seven women need water and that these shepherds here are not kind to permit these women to have the water. And so Moses stands up to that moment and uh, uh, helps these seven women water their flock. And of course, when these women uh, came to Ruel, their father, so now we know, you know, uh, now we know the priest of Midian has a name, Ruel, their father. He says, so this is what the father says, this is what Ruel says, he says, why have you come back so soon today? Like what took place here? I mean, there's a custom and there's a tradition and there's uh, boundaries within the timeline that allow me to know that something must have taken place because you are here earlier than the normal. Right? So inquiry into uh, their experience. So they said in verse 19 to their father, an Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds. An Egyptian? You see how, at times, what we see with our eyes can deceive us. Now, of course, some of these deceptions may be minor in status, which will not have dire consequences, per se, but sometimes they can be very deceiving in such a measurement that it has life-changing consequences. Well, look at what Joseph's brothers did to their father. They presented a narrative and an image for their father's eyes to see that would bring deceit upon his mind. And what is that? My dear son Joseph has been devoured by wild beasts. 
Well, of course, that was not the case at all. Friends, at times, our eyes can be deceived. That doesn't mean you can't trust everything you see around you. You are in reality, and you do see tables and chairs and things of that kind. But at times, we need to do a bit more investigating. Look at Abraham. What did he do in deception to the Egyptians? Well, he made his wife out to be his sister. And yes, there is, of course, conversation to that end, but you understand. And so the Egyptian saw the beauty of the woman and immediately, because of that selfish ambition, believed everything Abraham said about her. Oh, she's just his sister, so we'll treat them and I'll be able to be with this woman. At times, friends, it is a proper um, practice to utilize precaution and to perhaps ask questions a bit further to receive a bit more information that would allow us righteous judgment. So they said, an Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds. They perceived him to be an Egyptian. And what is more, he even drew the water for us and watered the flock. And you can see, of course, why they would think him to be an Egyptian. There are uh, various physical traits that might have one think to that end, that he may have been raised in the household of Egyptian elite uh, and privilege and freedom, uh, things of that nature, of course. So they explain the account to their father to the degree that they understand it. And his father, their father, say to his daughters there, he says, well, where is he then? If this valiant warrior, an Egyptian birthright, uh, courageously inserted himself into a perhaps violent situation, an altercation for the well-being of my daughters. Well, I, I, I mean, where is he? Why is it that you, my dear daughters, have left this man, Moses, behind? Invite him to have something to eat. A practice of hospitality where in which we get to learn who we truly are, one another. That's a practice we need to keep going. To keep we, we need that's a practice we need to cultivate. We need to water. Well, water. Hmm. Absolutely. Over here, uh, with the local uh, assembly, I labor along with the East Coast Church of Christ over here on the East Coast of Canada. You can check out the .com, eastcoastchurchofchrist.com, or our Facebook page, East Coast Church of Christ. We are a congregation in this here mission, which began from day one having fellowship every week. Every Sunday after worship, we fellowship together. We share a meal and stay together for hours. And throughout the week, we text each other, we visit each other, we practice hospitality, we are friends and that, of course, solidifies a commitment towards one another. We are thoughtful towards one another. We are selfless. We are learning who we are as uh, neighbors and, and fellow saints and brethren. And it truly uh, has opened uh, many opportunities uh, and goals 
and uh, it is truly wonderful. I can't, I just can't brag on it enough. And God has blessed us with growth and blessed us with many wonderful opportunities. It's not void of its challenges. We are not perfect. There are many things to navigate through, but we are not corrupt. We are not toxic. We are healthy. That's the difference. That's the that's the difference. So the priest of Midian, father to seven daughters, has the wisdom to recognize that a meal, practicing hospitality, is the way in which we will get to know this sojourner, this supposed or alleged Egyptian who stuck his neck out to uh, uh, defend my daughters and to help them gather water for my flock. That's important. Interesting language. Water, well, shepherds, priest, Moses, leader. You can certainly put the puzzle together. Where is he then? And why is it that you have left the man behind? Invite him to have something to eat. Right? <laughs> and that could be, of course, a little bit humorous. Like, what's the matter with you women? They left the poor man out there all alone. Bring him in. If he did that, you're supposed to be kind to him. Say thank you at the very least. There should be some courtesy here. You know, <laughs> he risks his life in such a way and it's just like, bye and just leave. No, there needs to be some etiquette of uh, uh, courtesy here and be like, we've recognized that you put yourself in danger for us to protect us and to allow us to gather this water for the flock. So at the very least, please come home with us. Um, and a, a bit of a side note here, of course, if you will, a bit of an excursion to the thought of uh, the Ten Commandments, the the cinematic, uh, the cinematic uh, silver screen of, um, uh, well, of course, now the names are going to leave my mind at this opportune moment. Uh, Charleston Heston and uh, his his character role as quote-unquote Moses. Of course, if you watch the movie and you read the Bible, you're going to see a great... There's a difference there. The movie uh, took artistic liberties, didn't they, in a great many ways. But uh, ultimately, the idea, of course, if you see that image in your mind of Charleston Heston as Moses and he's coming here to rescue these women at the well and whatnot, you can, of course, allow or permit yourself... Uh, a bit of leniency that, yeah, okay, maybe there are some similarities and there are perhaps uh, developing um, character personas that would allow for such assumptions or perceptions or interpretations that would not violate, of course, the thrust of the context and its purpose. Well, Moses was willing to dwell with the man. So here he is, of course, in the household uh, of Ruel, uh, the father of these seven daughters, uh, and Moses was willing to dwell there. He's, he's looking, I mean, what an opportune time. Here I was fleeing the death sentence over there in Egypt at the hands of an oppressing, an, an, uh, an oppressor, an oppressive tyrant, this new king of Egypt. And, uh, uh yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I, I, I'd be fine here. This, this seems like a, this seems like the cure. I could heal here. I could try to figure out life here. I could, uh, you know, exist among you and your people. So Moses was willing to dwell with the man, and he gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses. So Ruel gives Moses a wife, and it was Zipporah her name. Then Zipporah gave birth 
to a son. Now you can see, of course, within these verses, time is uh, uh, taking place. There's some time taking place here. There's history and relationship building. And um, this is, of course, taking place to this account. Then she gave birth to a son, and he named him Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. You know, back then, names meant something, and names were usually descriptive of their current uh, situation and the things they were living through. And Moses was a sojourner uh, away from the Egyptian oppression and uh, searched for his life, ultimately. And he finds himself here now, where there is water, there is wife, children, blessing, there is labor, peaceful labor, challenging labor, there is life. There is a new chapter to my existence and my walk on this earth. Yeah, yeah, seems fine to me. Now, of course, it came about. Time's, pay, time's taking place here, friends. You know, time's moving forward. It came about in the course of those many days, verse 23, chapter 2, Exodus, that the king of Egypt died. He died? Yeah, he died. You see, these kings think themselves to be God on earth, but they are just mortal like you and I. It's the same today with these so-called religious leaders we have. They're just human beings, and they have to depart this earth just like the rest of us. Look at the tyrants that currently uh, oppress the people. It's the same thing. They come, they go. There might be another one afterwards, but we all have an expiration date. The difference is, of course, uh, which side will you um, find yourself in? There's only two roads in life. Don't let anybody try to fool you with more. There's only really two roads in life. Really. I've lived long enough on this earth and walked among humanity for enough given time to receive enough insight to recognize two paths in life. That's it. You're either going to believe in God and follow God faithfully as a legal citizen of his kingdom, immersed into his body of believers, to produce good works. Or you're going to neglect and reject God, hate God, and all who follow God faithfully, and find yourself in an eternal punishment. There's really only two paths in life. And Jesus spoke of these two within the context of his own people, mind you, in the Gospel of Matthew, when he spoke of the narrow gate and the broad gate, the broad gate and the narrow gate within the context of his uh, direct audience was the Jews, the believers. He was basically saying, among all you believers in God, only a very small portion of you will actually make it to be with the Father in heaven, because only a small portion of you are going to believe in me, the Son, the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. So now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died. They do that, don't they? They will die. <laughs> and, of course, the sons of Israel sighed 
because of the bondage. And they cried out and their cry for help and and, and they their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. Uh, again, if you look at the evidence of rightly handled scripture from the chapter previous and the verses previous in uh, prior in chapter 2, we see in chapter 1, verse 8, now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he wanted to slaughter, uh, if you will, uh, the, Israel, uh, the Hebrew people, and he, puts in, he, he sets forth mandates to, to dispose of a Hebrew male presence, and then uh, that continues. He has that same kind of heart, if you will, and he sets them forth with hard bondage, and they made their lives bitter. Their, uh, the Israel, uh, Israel's lives were made bitter by this Egyptian power with hard labor and martyr and bricks and all kinds of labor in the field. And their labors, they were rigorously imposed on them. So again, the, the context gives us insight to this recorded account, and uh, it's, it's, it's a bad deal for them. I mean, they're not being treated uh, in a humane way, okay? So the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. God, of course, is a gracious God. He has mercy. He loves us. He truly does, for God is love, so he understands what love looks like to its most precise description, and he loves us, and he wants our well-being, right? So he hears his nation in this age here that we are reading, physical Israel, right? Physical Israel. You and I today, of course, are spiritual Israel. We are no longer Jews or Greeks or Gentiles or anything of the kind. We are Christians in the Christian era, the last days, the dispensation of time we are called to be good stewards of, the Christian era, the Christian age. Well, back in this age and time, uh, um, physical Israel was indeed uh, the recorded account, and they are going through some hard times, some very difficult times. I mean, their own government is murdering them, quote-unquote, legally. Does this sound familiar to you, or are you completely lost? So uh, they cry out, and God hears them. What about us over here in these fallen nations? Fallen to what? Immoral, corrupt tyrannies. Why? Because we let go the fact that we are to be sourced in a higher power, a divine entity. The persona of the three names in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. See, we've, we've neglected and rejected that, so now we are going to find ourselves in centuries of bondage and hard labor as slaves to the tyrant behind the pulpit. Is that where we're going? Is that the end of our civilization and culture? Well, certainly, if we keep moving or rushing headlong into this oubliette of disastrous chaos, you know, and, 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 and nonsensical, delusional insanity, where we believe ourselves now in a time where men can be women somehow? Yeah, yeah, we've lost our brains. So, what's the remedy? Well, we need to cry out to God beg him for forgiveness. He wants to forgive us. He wants to bless us. We need to confess our sins and say, hey, we've had enough. I'm screaming uncle, right? You're twisting my arm. Okay, uncle, uncle, I've had enough. You're going to break my arm. Sadly, some people are so rebellious, stiff-necked, and, and, and just so pride-driven 
you can break their arm. They'll still be like, they'll still be corrupt and still do the wrong thing. It's truly. So it, their cries, their prayers, their plea for help is heard by God. Have they learned enough? Have they been in bondage long enough now to recognize the problem that they need to go back to God? Because with God, we had land, we had ancestry, we had security, and no giant roaming the earth had the power to subdue us. Why? Because God loves us and we love him and we fear him more than man and we have faith, trust in God and his will. That's the remedy. It's always been the remedy. It will always be the remedy. And when we forget that, takes many centuries of blood, many centuries of death and murder, hard labor, for us to finally be pierced away from our pride and say, yeah, we messed up, didn't we? America was one of the most independent, free nations on earth. It was a beautiful place. Everyone wanted to go there. Canada, the Great White North, was a beautiful place filled with natural resources, security. You didn't have to lock your doors. We knew our neighbors. We were all family and friends. People were upright. We understood the tradition held by the identity of a higher power. Male and female to become husband and wife. Children. Work hard. Have a good career. And first and foremost, love Jesus and proclaim the good news of his death, burial, resurrection, witness, and ascension to all those around you. We used to know that upright integrity. What about now? Can we say the same? If so, you, I'm telling you, if so, you're delusional. You get your head in the sand. We legally, quote unquote, legally are governed by tyrants who enforce mandate to murder our own kind. Yeah, from conception to to our elderly and everyone in between, we now legally murder our own kind. And we think it virtuous. We think it healthcare. Are you paying attention or are you sleeping behind the wheel? You see how this information here gives us so much insight in how we can find practical application. But we must never do so at the expense of the priority. And what is that? All of this information is set forth in one priority. Jesus, his love for us, him dying for us, and our willingness to repent, to change and follow him. All of this is not for uh, securing physical wellness, though we are called to be good stewards of our physical existence and should do all that is legal and upright to hold that blessing and opportunity. It is not the priority because this life, whether we preserve it in peace and freedom, which God wants us to do, it don't matter. We're still going to have to depart this earth. This is not the forever place. It just isn't. But in physical Israel, during the age of the Hebrew, way back here in our uh, recorded, inspired recorded accounts of history, 
physical Israel was indeed at the forefront, and it was going to be for a time until the Christ, of course, came. Uh, but we can learn a great deal from what was in the physical realm and apply it to our spiritual minds. The sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage, and they cried out, and they cry for their help because of their bondage that rose up to God. Verse 24. God, so, because of this cry, because of this uh, humble posture and reverent bowing of the people seeking help from a higher power, they finally figured out that we need to go back to God. We, we, we're missing something here. God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, of course, this is for uh, the purpose of man's understanding. God didn't really just forget and be like, oh, whoops, I can't believe I forgot that. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah wow, I'm glad you reminded me. No, God's not um, delinquent in his promise to the covenant to the Abrahamic lineage. Not at all. It's for man's understanding that God reveals himself through this penmanship in such a way. So God heard this groaning, their groaning, and God remembers his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God saw, verse 25, the sons of Israel, and God took notice. God saw the sons of Israel, and God took notice. Why is that important? Because if you highlight in your scripture the nature of God, you'll have greater insight into his will. And we know that God hears, for he heard. And we know that God sees, for God saw. And he could have just as very well said, you know what? You've made me angry long enough. I'm not going to forgive you. I'm not going to bless you. You go ahead and you just die. Now, if we want that, he'll oblige. If we say, God, we don't want to believe in you and we hate you and we just want to go out there in the world and die, he'll say, go for it. It's up to you. You go have at it. It's not what I want for you, but if that's what you're so inclined to do, then have at it. You have free will. You can think for yourself. You are not a robot. You are not a slave to the whims of erroneous religious errors such as Calvinism and so forth. No, you are a free-thinking agent. I've created you with that blessing. You can choose to keep living a lawless life and uh, falling prey to the tyranny of Egyptian bondage. Go for it. Maybe you need a few more centuries of bloodshed and hard labor before you turn towards me. God saw the sons of Israel, and God took notice of them. He took notice of them. He took the inventory of their hearts in this here condition of slavery. And of course, that finishes off the portion of Scripture we were looking at today in our midweek studies in the book of Exodus, chapter 2, verses 15 through 25, and a great many wonderful things there uh, revealed and discussed and uh, applicable in our lives. God is there always. We may choose to depart from God, to neglect and reject Him, but He is always there. You cannot extinguish or remove God from His presence and power. He is the Creator, 
that has set all good things in motions. He spoke order into existence, and you and I are, of course, the recipients of this natural realm, and sadly also the consequences of Adam and Eve's disobedience, which had a ripple effect leading, of course, all the way through history, even to this hour. But God can set us free if we are willing, of course, to submit to his will, to his will and way, for his will and way is just. Joseph was made successful because God. His people had nourishment and ancestry and land because God. When our fear is in an Egyptian king, we will fall prey to his murderous lust, his pride and control, his power to dictate every aspect of our public existence. Does this sound familiar yet? Why are we here again in history? Because we've neglected and rejected Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus, well, he came to proclaim a message, his kingdom, and that we need to change to be productive in his kingdom. If we neglect and reject that, if there is no God and we are all just a bunch of animals, then who among us is going to make himself God? Well, over here, our current prime minister. And over there in America, your current president. You see, when we believe in God and we submit to a higher power and we follow the instructions of a rightly handled scripture, men in positions of leadership are there to serve, for the greatest among you will be a servant. But currently what we have in all facets of public sector is corruption and tyranny by the hands of these self-made gods. And we cannot move forward in such a society if we seek to remain within the freedom and privilege of our Lord and Master. Over here in spiritual Israel, on the other side of the cross, the New Testament system, the 27 books of the law, mercy and grace, the Christ, to which you and I live, yet learn from the 39 books of the old, no longer submissive to the old law, yet learning the nature of God through his people in the old law, you and I live under the 27 books of the New Testament system. And what a beautiful system it is if we are wise to submit to its instruction as free-willed agents, independently accountable, intellectually capable of reading the words you will find in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, move forward with Acts all the way to Revelation and seek to rightly handle the text so as to understand the intent of the author's mind for our hearts today. That is most important. It will not only govern us forward to be good stewards of our physical existence, which will mean that we will utilize the legal venues for the purpose of growth in his kingdom, which is to have peace in our community, of course, and the forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. Truly, it's available, but 
there is responsibility. God demands us a responsibility. There are things we need to say. There are things we need to stand up for. We need to expose evil. We need to fight against evil. And um, that would allow us a spiritual, prosperous opportunity. Learning these things motivates us to do what's right. The more people we convert to Christ, the true Christ, the Christ of the scriptures, because I, I mean, if you're being honest with yourself, you know that out there in the ocean of Christendom, what is commonly known as denominationalism, and now even those who claim to be non-denominational yet still spew the doctrines of denominationalism. If you look at that ocean of, of worldview and belief, you will find decent people there. You will find people who, ha who are kind, who are morally upright, who are willing to give you the shirt off their back. You will. The problem is the belief system, the doctrines they submit to. If you look at that, you will find that they have all, from one degree to another, created their own personal Jesus. And all their own little personal Jesuses are in contradiction to the Christ that we read of in the Bible. Truly. And I say that with all love and honor to all of you. Myself, my family, prior, were all adherent to different gods. Yet we all verbally, in our division, claimed unity by speaking the word Jesus. But you see, the Jesus we were born and raised to follow was not the Jesus of the Bible. So when we began to read the Bible, we began to see the difference. And of course, the Jesus we had learned to follow, a Jesus of the world, created by the minds of men, didn't want us reading the Bible and understanding it for what it truly says. And you can understand why. The Pharisees didn't want people following Jesus. They were losing their grip and control on the citizenry at the hands of this here man from Nazareth. It's the same today. The various gods created by the minds of men through the ocean of denominationalism do not want you to be independently thinking for yourself and rightly handling the scriptures, which is why they always want you to go back to the Pope, the priest, the cardinal, the, the pastor, the reverend, the whoever is your religious leader. Maybe it's mom and dad. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's your co-worker. Maybe it's a friend, another family member, someone. Whatever it is, don't go to the Bible because you can't trust the Bible. The Bible's corrupt. See, that's the way the gods of this world operate. But once you begin to freely think for yourself... You go away from the bondage of Egyptian oppression and all the various gods, and you start to think, hey, man, you know what? I need to go back to the scripture. I need to go back to the scripture and follow the inspired language. It'll set you free. All of that to the point. Don't follow the Jesuses of the world. You'll find them out there again under the umbrella of Christendom in the in, in this in this 
landmine of denominational doctrines. You will find upright people snared in all those various religious traditions. You will. But our duty, our obligation, once we have been liberated from those shackles, is to in turn bring others to the Christ of the Scriptures, to the penmanship of the Holy Spirit. And any honest and humble submissive student of the Scriptures will soon come to know that the religious views and the Jesuses we were born and raised to believe in are not true. They're myth. They're made up by the selfish ambitions of man. They've created their own personal Jesus. We are wise to withdraw from those things, to change our thoughts, to repent and to bear fruit, to produce fruits of repentance. All of us can be members of the one same church Jesus built. Really. And just think of the influence we will have towards all those around us if together we are united in the same doctrine, the uniqueness of the church, the uniqueness of the plan of salvation, the uniqueness of our worship, the governing aspects of the local assembly, church discipline, all of the instructions we have from our Lord and Master, the Christ. Imagine the blessing that God would bestow upon us if we were united in His church. Because he, he built a church. And it ain't what you see out there. It ain't what you see out there. And you don't need to be some sort of PhD savant to know this information. I'm your blue-collar guy. The son of a factory worker. Born and raised in nowhere land. It's just a matter of opening it for yourself and reading it. Really. All right, well, that'll come to its conclusion here in this session, our midweek study in the book of Exodus. Friends, I appreciate you a great deal. Please consider subscribing, liking, sharing, drop a comment. Please consider supporting the work. It helps put food on the table, motivates us to keep going with this information, reaching further with this growing studio. You can do so by signing up to addedsouls.locals.com. You can also give a PayPal donation, email address at itssouls at gmail.com. You can contact me for a video chat, a phone call, or an email exchange if you seek a physical address. I labor alongside the East Coast Church of Christ over here on the East Coast of Canada, a healthy and growing congregation. You can check out the .com or our Facebook page, East Coast Church of Christ. You are loved and appreciated, my dear friends. Stay focused and stay positive. Lord willing, tomorrow our topical discussion will continue at 10 a.m. Atlantic Daylight Time. We go live weekdays, 10 a.m. Atlantic Daylight Time. Look at our itinerary. Tomorrow we are going to continue with the fruits of atheism and the things that take place when we embrace a godless worldview. Good stuff? Eh. All right, man. Peace out.